Jeannie Wilson, and you are the director of Contra Valley Quads. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for taking some time out to, to talk with us today. Thank you for having um, me. I know you're a very busy lady. This is exciting. I love that you're doing this. Oh, thank you. I love that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll just start out if you want to give everybody a little bit of your background, how you got into rescue. Uh, well, I've been in local rescue since 2008, really. There was a puppy mill bus, so people from St. Angela might remember that in 2008, there were 69 Shih Tzus that were found in deplorable conditions. And I remember being a perfectly normal person, sitting on the couch with my husband and our one dog, and um, seeing the news, and they were talking about having to euthanize all of the dogs because they were in various stages of neglect and illness and injury. And uh, we had a Shih Tzu at the time. And I just remember looking at her and telling my husband, that's 69 Sukis. We, we need to help. We need to do something. Okay. And so um, it was a very eye-opening time for me because I hadn't really been involved in rescue. I mean, we've always picked up dogs off the street and kind of done our own homegrown version. But we there wasn't any real organized rescue in San Angelo at the time. Wow. There were a couple of very small groups that did tremendous work, but they were nowhere prepared for 69 like that. dogs. So it led me to reach out to this group called Shih Tzu for Babies Rescue out of Jacksonville, Florida. It was an incredible experience because she took, took me under her wing. It was one phone call. She says, I'm there. We'll help. It was the first time that I've ever been involved in a transport, but we fostered all the mama dogs in my living room. I remember us moving furniture out of the living room and turning it into a nursery. And so it was uh, heartbreaking to say goodbye to them, but at the same time, it felt so good. I was I was addicted. And so about a year later, the Humane Society offered me the position as executive director because I do have a background in nonprofit. I jumped at the opportunity. And uh, so here I am 15 years later, a little crazier, <laughs> but still saving dogs. So you've been the nonprofit. You've been doing that since two thousand five. Yes, it's amazing. Yes. Kids and animals have always been my my thing. I started out as an alcohol and drug abuse counselor, oh, wow. um, and I worked with kids. Um, and there, that was a little discouraging because I was getting the kids kind of after the fact, you know, kind of when they were in the midst of it. And it was once they're in it, it's really hard to get them out. And so um, I became a firm believer in mentoring, mm -hmm. and we worked to establish the local Big Brothers Big Sisters here. And so that was a very rewarding experience. And um, I was with them for quite some time. And they kind of took on a national, not a national, a statewide, because it's a, it's a national program. Right. But they kind of took on a state approach to the program. Okay. And I uh, got married. And I thought, well, that's a good time for me to kind of step away and look at doing something that isn't 80 hours a week, nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And uh, that didn't last very long. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you just went from one to another. Yeah. From the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> so you've done local, but you've also done national rescue. Right. Right. Yeah, we should send for babies. I continued to work with them alongside uh, my job with Humane Society for several years, uh, coordinating rescues here in Texas um, and getting them to the east. And so I did a lot of small breed rescue with that organization for a long time. And you have you have several rewards. And do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I know you have the Jefferson Award for your yeah. public service. Yeah, that was really neat getting to go to Washington, D.C. Um, and I think, you know, that was that was great to be recognized. But the thing mm -hmm. that, uh, that I think I'm kind of most proud of is just recently going through the Best Friends uh, Society Leadership class. Okay. That was a very incredible for the, the field I'm in to see that it's becoming more of a professional industry okay. and we're applying all of these different programs and approaches to fundraising and 
education. And it's just kind of great to see it kind of evolve into something a little bit more organized in a way to, to, to save more lives. What, for people that don't know, what is the, the Best Friends Animal Society? So Best Friends Animal Society, I think their claim to fame was like the Vic Dogs, the Michael Vic Dogs. Okay. Um, they're based out of Utah and they started years ago. And if you're interested, I encourage you to go on their website and read their backstory. But it was just a group of friends that started a rescue. Mm-hmm. And they have houses for the dogs. So they bring in, I mean, it's, it's acres and acres of land in Utah, bring in houses for the dogs. They don't have kennels. They don't have a traditional shelter or dog dorm. They live in houses and they have three or four dogs to, to a house that they bring in these movable houses and set up. And it's oh, wow. a really cool setup, but they have done, they have done tremendous work on kind of organizing and ugh, I don't want to say activism, but really kind of working with communities and looking at how laws can help, how education can help, uh, incentivizing people to be responsible pet owners. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just they've had just this real broad overview and they've grown and grown. So when the Michael Vick dog thing happened, of course, nobody was really in the position to take dogs in such concerning situation. I mean, they were obviously psychologically damaged, right. could be aggressive, dangerous, mm-hmm. but best friends took them on and they all lived out their life. Um, none of them weren't necessarily adoptable, but they got to live out their life in a in a way where they were decompressed. You know, it, they had all the trainers that could work with them and try to get them back to a to a safe place where they, at least they could enjoy have a quality of life. Right. Do you know how many dogs were involved in that or approximately? You know, I don't really remember. I want to say it was like 80 wow. dogs that they ended up taking That's under sad. their wing. Um, but they were the only ones to, to step to up. And I think everybody was really like, what are they doing? But it, it, <laughs> it, had, it had a happy ending. Um, but uh, it was just really impressive. But I've been very impressed with that organization. It's now kind of a national They've grown so much. This is a national program. And so if you're in the rescue industry, it's kind of the place you look, you know, as a model. Not everything they do works for San Angelo, Mm -hmm. we know. But it's just really interesting to see how they've done things and how it's evolved. And they have lots of data behind all the things. Like a template for, Mm -hmm. for rescue. Lots of models, yeah. Contra Valley Paws started out as the Humane Society. Are there is there any relation between the like how how did that happen that change so um each each humane society believe it or not is independent of the national humane society so that was a a real thing that was big for me to learn back in the day i thought Mm -hmm. the humane society was like a a national umbrella and they had chapters under it but no every humane society is independent and so it was humane society of tom green county and it was recognized as animal control although it's never well, I can't say that. It was recognized as animal control in the 90s and early 2000s. Okay. But they haven't done actual animal control since 1961. Oh, wow. So that's how far the history of our organization goes. So it was founded in 1961 by a group of women, which I think is really kind of amazing. Right. Um, that these women come together and say, hey, we need to do things for the stray animals. We need to get them off the street, provide some kind of shelter. And it kind of evolved into the first animal control of this area. And it didn't take long for that to become more than a volunteer base of women could do. And the city took over providing animal control services. But the Humane Society continued kind of as a, a partner to the city mm-hmm. in education and doing adoption programs and things of, of that nature. And so it stayed a very small organization until about 2008. And they had a board of directors that said, hey, there we have a bigger need. We need to really amp this up to get mm-hmm. some staff in here, some continuity of services. And that's when they brought me on. And it was really, it's been a, it's been a great ride. 
a wild ride, but a great ride. <laughs> so you had mentioned um, partnerships with the city shelter. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you want to explain? Because I know there's been some like misunderstandings of, of what that means. Mm-hmm. So do you just want to explain to everybody your relationship with the sure. city shelter? So in 2011, we decided to do a DBA, a doing business as right. Poncho Valley Paws, and kind of leave that Humane Society name behind us because it was very misleading to the community because we were not an animal shelter mm-hmm. at that time we were a foster-based adoption program okay and so we trucked along and we saved a lot of animals but not near as many as we wanted to i think in 2011 2012 they were killing like nine thousand cats and dogs every year oh, in, san in san angelo wow. yes so huge numbers um hundreds a week Morale couldn't be lower at the shelter. I mean, it just, it was literally a revolving door. You know, the animals went in, they got three days, they went out the back door. And so we worked really hard to try to come up with a way to help in a, in a very impactful way. And of course, we started our spay neuter program, which is spaying and neutering about 300 animals a month now. And 300 a month? A month, yes. Wow. And that's cats and dogs? Cats and dogs. And so we're doing a spay neuter program in conjunction with the city. So if an animal goes into the city shelter in a trap and it is not claimed by an owner in 72 hours, we fix it and release it. That's amazing. So, so it came alongside the city. It's like it's really easy for rescue to become an adversary of the city because they're the dog pound. And, right. and we tried to approach it from a different angle. It's like, you know, yes, they have a different mission, mm-hmm. which is to keep the city safe and the, the streets clean. They have a not fun mission. Not you know, fun. It's very hard, very difficult. I don't think people take that into consideration. They don't. Too. But it, it's necessary. I mean, they, you have to have animal control. And so instead of looking at them as the enemy, the people that kill dogs, we've tried to look at it as what, is, what do we have in common? And mm-hmm. it's really easy. They don't want to kill animals either. Right. And so that's been our focus. It's like, okay, how do we work together to reduce the number of animals that have to be euthanized? And so everything that we've done uh, from that point forward has been with that objective in mind is how do we... How do we do this? And so we became partners with the city of San Angelo officially, contractual partners in 2016. There had been some discussions, a lot of behind the scenes discussions between several local rescues with us included and the city about what it would look like if rescues took over running the animal shelter. And we could never really get to that place where the rescues felt like the city was putting enough of an investment in it for us to do it effectively. And so the concern was we didn't want to take on something like that and and do it poorly. So we kind of abandoned that idea, kind of went back to doing rescue the way we did rescue. And then we come back alongside the city and said, well, y'all are not in the adoption business. We are. Right. Let us help you with that. And so now since 2016, our partnership with the city is that we provide, we facilitate adoption programs. And then it's kind of evolved a little bit more from that where we started treating animals that arrived at the shelter that were sick or injured. We provide vet care for them. Again, that's reducing that euthanasia because back prior to 2016, if a dog had been hit by a car, it was euthanized in the field. And many times those dogs can be saved. Right. And so we started doing these kinds of things with the city. So Yes, we work together very closely, but we are completely separate entities. Right. Which is what led us to, you know, build our new building, which is our Stephen Dog Dorms, because we want to continue providing adoption services for the city, mm-hmm. but we want to have our own space to kind of help and take, take some of that pressure off of the city having so many animals at one time. 
right. So let's talk about the, the community because we were talking about it being a revolving door. And I know there it's still such an issue, maybe not to the extent that it was years ago, but we still have a, a, a big issue with the stray population and, and dogs running around. So a lot of that is is the community's responsibility and, and the owners. How, what do you think would be, because I mean, you see the, the reasons why they come in and you see what it takes to get them into good homes. What do you think be a solution or working towards a solution to to that issue with with the community? Well, I'm not, I'm often not popular for saying this, but we don't have an animal problem. We have a people problem. Right. I mean, straight out. Uh, you said that much of it is the community's fault, and I'll even venture to say that 99% of it is the community's fault. <laughs> right. These dogs come from somewhere. Right. Um, and I think that some of our challenges in San Angelo is that we're a rural community. We haven't always looked at dogs as companion animals. Mm-hmm. A lot of the history in our community is ranching. Not that they're not that that's bad. Right. But I mean it, it just some people are raised with a different look on animals where if they're not catching on to the training, they're not doing their job as a herding breed or those kinds of things. Not to say I don't want to say that they think they're disposable, but they do move them along. Right. And they continue to breed. We have a lot of backyard breeders and some of that is a it's a cultural. There's there's a good section of our culture that doesn't believe that animals should be neutered. Mm-hmm. You know, and I promise you, dogs don't care about that as much as men do. <laughs> they just <laughs> there is that cultural thing. So I've got a lot of things that kind of work against us a little bit. I think that our biggest problem in the community is we're also we're also approaching it just kind of a different time in the way we look at things we're an instant gratification world absolutely and so people get a dog and they expect that dog to, i mean we get calls every day i want to adopt i want to adopt a dog that is hypoallergenic it does not shed they have a list i want a dog that's potty trained that's not a dog basically <laughs> you want a stuffed animal right. you don't want something that is capable of thought and feeling and it has its own personality. So I think that those expectations have really got, we've got to do something to manage those in people. And, and it Make it more realistic. Them. Yes. You can have a fabulous dog, but you're going to have to work on that relationship. Yeah. Just like you can have a fabulous marriage or a fabulous family. It takes work. And that's something our society is not really big on right now. They want they want it now. They yeah. want it perfect. And that's, that's all they get. So that's my... When I look at our community, I think that's my biggest disappointment because I think we can kind of educate our way out of, you know, educate people about spaying eater, educate people that pets aren't disposable, but teaching people to commit, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of our... How do you reach them? Because yeah. we'll sit there and we do an adoption, we'll sit there and we will talk this and this and this and this, and this dog needs three days, three weeks, three months. You know, we go over that with them all, all the time. Right. They'll call the next day. The dog peed everywhere. It chewed up my favorite boots. It's got to go. It's like, we told you that dog was going to pee in your house until it learned your schedule. That's why we recommend crate training. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to me because they'll call us up and say, I need to rehome this dog because I work and I can't, I'm not going to leave it in a crate. Where do you mm. think it's going at the shelter? It's going in a kennel. Right. Right. 24-7. So it's it's just getting through on that level that is it's a challenge that we haven't 
mastered. Yeah, I mean, um, on the training end, I see it too. You know, when people contact me for the issues they're having, and then they realize the work that they have they have to put in. Not me, not the dog, but the work that they have to put in as as the owner of this animal. Yeah, yeah. So it, yeah, it is an issue, and a lot of that is on social media and the, like the thirty minute and one minute videos and showing dogs, and it looks like they're seemingly right away figuring this out or doing this, and they don't understand that you know before and after there was an in between to that, right? You know, and it, yeah. it does take time, patience, and commitment. Yeah. And I know it's it's taboo to put, compare dogs and kids, but dogs and kids have always been my passion and I do see some correlation there I yeah. see some similarities it's a being that you're responsible for yes and work goes into it takes work it takes work so if you want to teach a kid how to reach you gotta put time in it yeah. if you want to teach a dog to walk on leash you gotta put the time in it but it's so worth it yeah and, and it saddens me what people miss out on just because they're not willing to put some time in type of effort mm-hmm. yeah they miss out on something amazing what i wanted to ask you because we were talking about reaching out to the public and, and helping them understand the work that actually goes into being a pet owner but i think also explaining some all the resources that they do have like i mean you guys offer you have a spay and neuter program Yes. Uh, you offer the microchipping too, right? Yes. What other type of anything, like any help that, that the community would need, what type of programs is it that Pause is there to offer? Okay. Well, we have, we've worked really hard to try to come up with a real cohesive, comprehensive program that will help the entire issue because there's so many facets to this problem and overpopulation. So right. We do provide our low-cost spay-neuter program. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it, we've seen a little bit of a decline in it the latter part of the year because we've seen some price increases go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the prices are going up, but the grant funds not necessarily are going up. But we've had some great success with that. But it is more difficult to get. So we encourage you, if you want to get a low-cost manager voucher, get on the website. They go on sale the 10th of every month, and we refresh every month how many mm-hmm. we have available. But everybody can get their pet fixed. We even provide free ones um, if you cannot afford it at all. And then we have a program called Mommy and Me. So if you find yourself in a position where you have a dog in an accidental pregnancy mm-hmm. and you're going to keep your pet, which we want you to keep your pet, you keep the puppies together with that mama for six months so that they have a good chance of survival. Mm-hmm. And we take the puppies at that point and we home them for you and make sure they're all spayed, neutered, vaccinated, and microchipped when oh. they go to new homes. But you have to keep them for that six weeks, and you have to agree to get mama fixed. That way you're not in that situation again. again. Right. And so we have that program. We've worked really hard to try to establish a comprehensive program to address all the facets of the animal population issues. So we offer our low-cost spay-neuter voucher program, and that is a very popular program, and they're, they sell out very quickly. Uh, but we also offer some free vouchers for extenuating circumstances, but our our vouchers are like half the cost of what you pay at the vet. And so the way the voucher program works, I like to share this so people will understand is we submit for grant funding and donations and we work out prices with the vets. And of course, all those prices have increased with inflation recently. So our voucher holder will pay say $35 for a cat voucher, but that cat still costs $125 to get a spade neuter. So we provide the, the payment for the remainder of that to the vet clinic. Okay. Um, so that's why there is a limit. There's a limit to how many of the vets can do, and there's also a limit to how much funding we have to pay for it. 
But it's been a very healthy program, fixing about 300 animals a month. And we hope to continue at that level, but it may drop off a little in you know the months to come, just depending mm-hmm. on funding. Of course, we do our adoptions with the city, and most of the times, so, you know, the adoption fees are $50 for cats, $85 for dogs, but most of the time they're free because we're just desperate to try to find homes. So we have that program. We also have our rehoming assistance program, which to me, it's a very underutilized program, and it's so important because there are legitimate reasons people have to rehome. Absolutely. There could be a death of the family. There could be an, a move. There could be a financial you know, especially in this day and time of financial crisis approach. And so what that allows is allows the pet to stay in your home while we market the pet for adoption. And I don't think people understand that important that is to keep the pet out of the shelter. Because the minute an animal enters a shelter, or even a rescue for that matter, it's a change. It's something that overwhelms them. Um, Their psychological, a little bit of psychological damage done because the person they trusted is no longer there. And so there's reactivity involved with all of that. Absolutely. And so if they can stay in your home, we can get them adopted faster. Mm-hmm. And so with that rehoming, if you need assistance getting them fixed and vaccinated because that has to be done before we'll place them, we will help with that as well. So that's a really important program. But again, it takes commitment. We talked about earlier. And so we, it's an underutilized program that I wish people would take advantage of because it is the perfect answer to owner surrenders at the shelter. Yeah. Perfect answer. So, but we have a we have a lot of education opportunities. We have our foster program, which is amazing. We're so grateful for every foster we have. We just had one of your advocates on the podcast, Kay Brown. Yes, she's great. I love her. She's, she's so doing sweet. Such a great job. Such a great. Eight, she has eight dogs in one year. Yes, that's yes, that's awesome. But it's kind of neat if you do keep up with how many you foster. I mean, I know that I'm up and we've rehomed hundreds of years. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's kind of neat when you can kind of say, you know, I, I did that. Yeah. I can't, it I help. What I like to tell people, it's not just the animal that you saved, but every family that got a pet that was fostered by you has been enhanced in some way. Because I am a firm believer that there's nothing like that pet person connection. There's just, there's nothing. That unconditional love is unmatched. Absolutely. So, but we have, we just have a ton of programs that we're here to help people. Uh, we refer people to you all the time, even people that can't afford it, because right. if it means keeping that pet and person together, we're going to try to to find a way to raise funds or whatever we need to do to keep them together. Right. Um, because nine times out of 10, the problem you're having with a pet that's making you want to get rid of that pet, it's fixable. Absolutely. So, yes. Agree. Along that lines of, of talking about making a difference and, and doing good, because I know we, we talked about, you know, the challenges in the community and the people wanting instant gratification and that being, you know, one of the main reasons that dogs go into the shelter. What are some of the positive stories I think that sticks out about about the work that you do that you'd want to share? Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, there's so much. And, you know, there's so much positive that comes out of rescue. And we tend to be very guilty of getting caught up in all the negativity. It's got to be hard. Because it is a con- it's a, every day is a every new day, challenge. Yeah. Um, but I, one of my favorite stories to tell is there was this dog. He was crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy dog, but so lovable. And we he had been returned oh, two or three times. And we were convinced that we might not find the right home for this guy because he was just different. And we, we actually got in with a trainer um, at the time that had, had the basic commands down, but he was just a different 
kind of wild child. What, what kind of breed was he mixed there? Was some kind of um, call them beardy, a bearded. Oh goodness, they're they're real. They're big and they're they're, <laughs> they're big. <laughs> but I can't believe I've forgotten what he was. But he was a mix. But he was a mix of that. He was just a big furry guy. This big old head, and he was very intimidating, but he was huh. just a big goofball. Huh. But people had a hard time handling him because of his size. Because of his size. And so he's brought back, and he just had a quirky personality. I mean, nothing bad. Nothing bad at all. We had one adopter accuse him of having, you know, some mental issues. <laughs> Maybe not the brightest granola in the box. <laughs> um, but it was interesting because this lady comes in one day and she says, I know you probably don't have this dog anymore, but you have a dog like this. And she showed us this picture. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Matter of fact, he's right back there right now. <laughs> and she says, you're kidding me. And I, she said, two years ago, my son saw this dog and wanted him and, and needed him. And she went on to tell us about her son and how he was extremely, he had some extreme social issues due to autism and how he, he had just kind of obsessed over that dog. He had printed out the pictures from Pet Finder and had them hanging in his room. And for her to come in and that dog be available, of course, we did the adoption. He got the dog for Christmas. And two years later, he come in and he was talking to us about his dog, and, and that dog, he went being a service dog. I mean, oh, just wow. an amazing, amazing story. You never know. You never know. And the, he was making friends, and it got him out of the house. It's awesome. Just, it, it, man, it just made us all feel so good that we feel like kind of maybe God knew where this dog needed to go. It was just a matter of the timing to make it to make it happen. Perfect, yeah. That's beautiful. So, but we see, you know, it's great to see people out, and you know, I'll be at Walmart, <laughs> I'll wear my Paul shirt, and that's either good or bad because either they're going to approach me about the kittens that are under their house, or they're going to come and thank me for their adoption. <laughs> it's never, never, never know. But we love hearing those those happy endings. That's happy stories. Yeah. Another lady that adopted from us, another one of my favorite stories, but she lost her son. Um, a very unexpected, tragic thing. And she adopted a dog to kind of, she just needed some kind of companionship. And it really pulled her out. Oh, you know. And she's done some videos and stuff for us because it was that unconditional love. That dog loved her, whether she was laying in bed wallowing in her grief or playing with her, that dog's love was was consistent and always there. Bearded Collie. That's what that dog was. Has it bearded? <laughs> Five hours later. It's a very kind. Yeah, it's presented in there. You know, his job, it does something to me. That's a unique breed. Yeah. But he was a mix, and it was he was a very striking. And I thought, oh, this dog's going to adopt out fast. And he did several times. <laughs> where do you see Pancho Paws? Where are we going? Yeah, I think where are we going yeah. is where I'm looking for. Like, yeah. what do you see in the future? Right now, I just we're just so grateful to live in the present because you know we lost Judith Hirschfeld last week, and that was just a punch in the gut because she was such an amazing woman, and her and David made the building we have possible. Right. It's so ironic that our dog dorms were approved. For housing last week. So we actually have moved dogs into the dog dorms. We're going to have a grand opening soon, but we're actually getting to utilize the space. 
And then to lose her in the same week, it was like, oh, it was awful. Oh, okay. But to know, to see that dream realized life, yeah. was just amazing. Because I remember when we had $300 in the bank <laughs> at one point. And, and and to see where we are today is just, it's it's amazing. And all the programs that we're offering and all the, the help we're able to provide to people that want it. So... I love that. But if I was to tell you what I wanted for our future, it's a mix between I want this community to step up and become the community that puts rescues out of business. You know? That would be amazing. That is actually my my dream. Is that maybe someday and you instead of using those dog dorms to house animals from San Angelo, maybe we're the community taking dogs in from other communities that haven't gotten to together them. yet. Yeah. Maybe we're the guys helping out instead of the ones begging for help. So that's, you know, I'd love to see that in the next 10 years. That's a, that's a lofty, lofty goal. But, you know, it's possible. It could happen. You know, I'm, I'm just one of those that I'm always going to look for. I have, I have not lost all faith in humanity. I'm not. I know a lot of rescues do, but we don't because I do believe, I think it was Maya Angelou that said, when you know better, you do better. Right. So it's my mission. It's, it's our mission as paws to get out there and, and show people that there's a better way to treat these animals and let them for themselves experience, you know, just the beauty of that when they do. And they do it the right way. But yeah, I'd love to see them put us out of business or let us rescue from other areas instead of being beaten down every day with dogs that are reproducing here locally mm-hmm. and straight on the street. So we, do we have some work cut out? For us, absolutely. A lot of work, but I think we're up for it. I mean, you all have done so much already. So it's, like you said, if you could look back and then look to where you are now, you can see. Like, I think, I mean, and that's true with a lot of areas of our life when we're, you know, working on something and working towards something. Sometimes we get caught in the moment and we get frustrated. Yes. We don't realize, you know, if we just take a second and glance back and see how far we have come. And then kind of appreciate that and know that, you know, y'all are making a difference. Yeah. There is an impact. And it's so hard, again, with social media and people getting stuck in negative, you know, well, just I to keep putting that out there. Like, it, it, it is getting better. We are working on it. And people want, they want to know who's responsible. People, I think people like to have somebody to blame. I think it's our nature. They have to. It's yeah, our nature. They have we to. want some, somebody to hold accountable, but... In this case, I think it's a matter of all of us holding up that mirror and saying... Yeah, pointing the finger around and like, you know, what can I do to change this? What have I done? Yeah. And so until we're ready to kind of do that, we should just be quiet. (laughs) But that's, you know, and and we don't, you know, it's no secret that we get bashed on social media here and there or whatever. And, you know, I look at that stuff and, and I try to take away from it what what can we use to grow mm-hmm. from that? And if there's nothing there that is substantial, something, nothing that I can take away to improve our programs, improve our services, then I'll leave it alone. Mm-hmm. But if there is something there that I can change, we're, that's one thing I love about my board and my staff is we are willing to try anything. If it means saving an animal, if it means improving our services, we're going to try everything. Does that mean it's all going to work? No, but we are not stuck in a system that we're not going to. We're going to think outside the box as often as we can. Right. And if somebody has an idea and it sounds like it's something we could pull off and it would be beneficial, we're going to try. Give it a go. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I, that I love about this organization. And 
and we've done so much, but here's the thing, my board, my staff, we can't take, I mean, we can't take credit because we couldn't do any of this if it wasn't for the people that donate, if it wasn't for the foundations, if it wasn't for our $25 a month donors, they're the ones that make it possible because rescue is expensive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're criticized sometimes for having a staff, but we were very fortunate that um, we had a, a donor that believed in our mission and understood that a staff means continuity of services, hopefully quality of services, there. structure, right. um, so that if one volunteer decides to leave, there's still, it's going to go on. Mm-hmm. And so she provided a trust for us in her will when she passed that takes care of all of our staffing expenses. So when you see us fundraising locally, all that we raise locally goes so directly to the animals, which is vet care, food, whatever they need. And so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. That's something that I don't understand that I've seen online. I don't want to get too much in, into that. But some people criticizing for grants that Paws receives. But mm-hmm. a lot of the work that you do, that's what that... That's what it goes. That's yeah. what it's for. So right. if you didn't have those grants and that money and those donations... We couldn't do it. Right. Because that's what a nonprofit, that's what that means. And so we're literally in in my mind what pause is 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 that we're just kind of the central and we have all of these amazing people pouring into us Mm -hmm. so that we can pour back out and give where needed. Uh, one of the programs I didn't discuss was our compassion fund. And it is probably especially this year, it has been one of our most utilized programs. And it's when, you know, good pet parent finds himself in an emergency situation where the dog got out of the gate. Because it can happen. Oh, it can yeah. happen. You know, absolute sound the loose dog is irresponsible. So exactly. dog gets out of the gate, gets run over. Or we've seen instances where a do- um, house has been broken into and the dogs were injured. And so they can't afford it. They can't afford the emergency vet care. So they're stuck with euthanizing a dog with a treatable injury or illness or finding help and so we have donors that just pour into that fund and it's such a beautiful thing because people are so so grateful when you save their best friend and i just love that we have that and i love that we have those precious donors out there that see the importance of that and so yeah we you know we're proud of this organization but we could not do any of it without our community that supports us speaking of support what are some ways that the community can Support. I know you have fosters, volunteers, mm-hmm. donate. Do you want to, like, how would that work? Like, say somebody wanted to volunteer. Well, I'm super excited about our volunteering because it's fixing to shift a little bit because for the past several years, we've had, we always need volunteers, but our volunteers have had to kind of volunteer out of the shelter. Mm-hmm. And we still will encourage that always. But the shelter is a very difficult environment. It's overwhelming for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. we'll see volunteers gung-ho and they'll show up and they walk in the shelter and they're like, no. I can't do it. And so now that we have our dog dorm set up, it's it's just a little bit more, it's a smaller, it's, it's a kennel, but we call them dog dorms because mm-hmm. they're bigger, everybody's got a bed, um, we've got a bathtub in there, it's it's just a more gentle environment okay. for volunteers. So we're hoping volunteers will just come out in force now because if they want to wash the dog, we've got, all the, we've got the facility for it, they want to walk a dog, the dogs are fully vaccinated, ready to go out the door walking. You know, all those little roadblocks that we had to fund volunteer programs, mm-hmm. we've kind of, we're kind of knocking those down now that we have our own facility. So I'm super, super excited. So we've got some exciting things planned that we'll be posting on our social media. Okay. So if you're interested in volunteering, this is going to be a really fun time, I think. 
And then we're always looking for fosters. Fosters are so important because not only do you save the life of the dog that you're fostering, you save the dog that needs that kennel. Right. So, you know, we're hearing a lot about dogs being dumped right now because the shelter is full. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a foster, that's a, that's a great way to help is foster that pet. And that means there's a kennel open for the dog for another dog. Our foster program, if you agree to foster... Um, we have a couple of incentives for our fosters. So say you say you're on a limited income but you want to foster. Mm-hmm. We provide all the food, we provide all the vet care for our foster. Anything our foster dog needs, we take care of. So it's no financial obligation on the volunteer. And to protect your pet, we're gonna make sure they're fully vaccinated. And if you need a voucher to get them fixed, we'll get them fixed. So we've got some incentives there. It's like, if you help us, we'll help you. Yes. Kay was telling me that she'll also do vaccinations for the fosters, the dogs that they own. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was saying I had to reach out to Jen because I got 10 other dogs. It's a lot of dogs. Make sure that, that your dogs, your personal pets are protected because right. you know you're taking in a pet from the shelter. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just one small way that we can, we can give back because... Right now, we're very fortunate, knock on wood, um, to have a grant that helps cover vaccines for that very purpose. So why not utilize it and give back to the community and have more dogs vaccinated and microchipped. And every dog we get vaccinated, every dog we get microchipped, whether it's owned or adoptable or stray. Do you you all have a a microchip program as well? We do. Like a sustained owner. So how would that work if... So right now, what we've been doing is low-cost failure pop-up clinics. No, sorry vaccination pop-up clinics okay. where we have information on low-cost vaccine available, but we are doing the full vaccines for Parvo, Distemper, uh, Bordetella, and oh, rabies. Wow. So we do all those vaccines, and then we microchip. And um, the last one we did was completely free, but you have to sign up and, and claim your spot. And so that's what we're doing right now. Okay. Now that our facility's done, we are going to start offering regular microchipping um, and regular vaccination by appointment. So we'll be kind of looking for that announcement as we plan that out, get it set up. Wow. Um, but it's important. We want people to know we're not competing with vet clinics. We're trying to reach that population that the vets can't get to, whether right. it's a financial or res- you know restriction for the pet owner. We just want to help dogs. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Very. Because <laughs> they need us right now. You know, so, yeah, the, I think anything that, you know, anybody can do, to help out the situation that San Angelo has right now with, with the stray population. It's just, I really don't think anybody should be fighting anything that's like aimed at helping that situation. Well, we just always, we're always going to look for the, how we work together right. instead of we we're a rescue. We do not agree with everything the city does. And I'm sure the city doesn't agree with everything we do. I mean, we're, but we have to respect that. You know, right. two completely different roles that we serve in our community. But if we can stay focused on the fact that they don't want to euthanize and we don't want them to euthanize, then we can keep working together. Because the minute the minute we put ourselves in a hero-villain situation, no, the dogs lose. Absolutely. The dogs lose. Because... And rightfully so. You go after the city with such a complex issue, and you don't have any other answers. I mean, if you want to go at the city and you've got all these things for them to try that they haven't tried yet, go for it. Right. But if you're just going to complain and criticize, I think it's it's counter it, it's counterproductive right. because 
in return, the city's going to kind of shut down, I would imagine. I would, as a person. If all you're going to do is keep coming at me, I'm going to shut down. And, and the animals pay the price for that. Yeah. So we're always going to have our differences, but we're always going to try to work together. And uh, we we have very much enjoyed working with the city. And like I said, it's not, it's not they do everything the way we want or vice versa. It's a give and take. Compromise. It's a compromise. Right. Like any, any other like relationship. Any business relationship. To... Friendship. Anything. It's, it's, it's <laughs> not always like it. And you had mentioned earlier how people can, can help us. Right now, with the opening of our dog ponds, we'll be having our grand opening sometime in November. Okay. I'll keep you posted as to when that is. But we are actually have several neat ways for you to give. If you want to honor someone or memorialize someone, we have our pavers available for purchase online. Um, but we also have our dog dorms. So if you want to name one of the dorms after a beloved pet or a family member that was a dog lover uh, or honor someone with their name on a dorm, you can do that. So Pretty cool. we're wanting to get away from kennel number two and have it be, you know, it's the Stevens dog dorms. And how do we go? How do we go about that? Like how, if you want it, like say I wanted to sponsor one of the, the kennels or name it like after Love and Leashes. Yeah. How would I do that? Like, yeah. How it's, do I... it's all online right now. So cbpaws.org and it's under our donate section mm-hmm. uh, and there's sponsorships available. And um, if you're not computer savvy, just give me a call. I'd love to love <laughs> walk to help you. It. <laughs> walk you through it. That's pretty cool. I like that. But we want, we'd love to have as many names on it out there as possible because like I said, we very much see this as we're a community. This is, and we are, this is a community absolutely. of us working together. We talked about the community, what they can do to help. We talked about the new dorms, your relationship with the shelter. We talked about your history. Is there anything that you would want to put out to the public? Anything that we haven't touched on that you feel the need to... You know, on an ending note, in pretty much every interview I do, I like to remind everybody that there is something everyone can do. Anyone that loves animals... There's something you can do. Even if you don't love animals, there's something you do. But first and foremost is get your pet fixed. If your pet is not fixed, that is the most important thing you can do to help pause, to help your community, and to help the stray dog you found on the street. Second to that, volunteer, foster, donate, and advocate. Mm -hmm. Advocate. This community belongs to all of us. So if you want to get involved in some way, you know, there's the Animal Services Advisory Board. There's City Council. And let your opinion, let your voice be heard, but let's all try to work together in a way that is is productive. productive. Yeah. But I'm all about advocates who want to educate themselves on the issues and, you know, really get involved um, because I think it's going to take all of us working together. This is, this is a huge problem. And like I said earlier, to me, it's not a pet problem because it's not their fault. They're the victim in all of this. Can they be? It is the people. (laughs) Absolutely. So, in in Paws is here to help. We're here to help and support and educate. So, give us a call. All right. Well, thank you again so much, Jenny, for being with us and thank you for having time me. out. And we appreciate everything you do for the community. Thank you, and we really appreciate you too. <laughs> You've been a godsend. <laughs> we call. We call Felicia often. <laughs> I do what I can when I can. You know. All right. Thank you so that's much. That's it. Thank you.